Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you. I was ready for this kind of video. When I surf, I wear earplugs, and I have to just guess what everyone's saying. It really annoys my students. I'm like, let's hang out. Let's get time together in the water. And they're talking to me, and I'm like, I can't hear anything. I get, like, the really cheap earplugs, too, like $10 for, like, a three-pack. Nothing. Pretty zen, but horrible for conversations. My name is Austin. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at Branches, and it is a joy to be with you all this morning. At Andrew Shea was just at Youth Nights this past Wednesday and brought the word. He did a phenomenal job. It was great having him teaching the youths, and he did an equally good job at affirming them that they are not just the future of the church, but they are the church. You may hear that often, like, oh, the kids today, they're the future of the church. No, no, no. They are the church today. And Shay, he's been, he's been preaching this for a while. This isn't a new thing that he just started saying. When I was going to the Collins house in 2011 at this church's beginning of the youth group, I was hearing him say that as a high schooler. You guys are the church. And praise God. Speaking of the future, that's something we don't know. However, I act like I do know. Perhaps you guys have had this experience where you get the option to purchase event ticket insurance, but then you don't do it, right? You're already paying this certain amount of money, and then it's like for $13 or whatever, you can get event ticket insurance. And then you skip it, and then it's like, are you sure you are not gonna get your refund? And then you continue to skip it. Or if you're like me, perhaps you're smart, unlike me. I had a situation pretty recently. I was going to attempt to take my wife to see Jose Gonzalez for the second time. For those of you who know Jose Gonzalez, he did the whole soundtrack of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty with Ben Stiller. He was in the band Junip. If you don't know who he is, super romantic artist. This was the second time I tried to take my wife. The first time I bought tickets not realizing it was a 21 and over show, and she was a month from turning 21. So I took my friend Briley to see Jose Gonzalez, and it was far too romantic time with my bro. But then finally, this November, 2023, I was gonna take care to see Jose Gonzalez. Ace Hotel in LA. It's gonna be epic. It's all lined up, scheduled the babysitter out a month in advance, but here's the thing about being a parent. Nothing is ever under my control anymore. Ever since my son entered the picture, my life seems to be guided by this two-foot-tall pork bun. <laughs> to quote today's scripture reading, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. My beloved son, Rumi Stone, got a high fever that day. That day. And we just couldn't leave him at home with a babysitter. He looked so sad. It was so sad. So we didn't get to go, and the tickets didn't even get resold. Tough. Tough. What did I learn from this? Next time I buy concert tickets, I get a baby-sized hamster ball and quarantine my son for the month leading up. Or I actually get the event ticket insurance. I learned that we don't know the future. We can't predict the future, and that's what our text is going to be discussing today. We don't know the future, and that's actually a comfort as it inclines us to trust in God rather than worry about what we cannot control. We're going to discuss how we don't know what our future holds on this side of eternity and how not knowing what our future holds actually will shape the way we live in the present. So let's go to God's Word. 
This is going to be out of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. If you want to open up your Bibles, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Usher will bring one to you. You can open up your Bible on your phone if you like to. Just recommend putting it on Do Not Disturb so you don't get any notifications while you're in God's Word. Perhaps about Otani going to the Dodgers for $700 million. Some of you are happy. Some of you ask, why, God? Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This is God's word for us this morning. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You are young, be happy while you are young, and let your hearts give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off troubles from your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Let me pray and switch my mind. You guys ready to pray? Gave you time to really get into the posture of prayer. So Jesus, as we go through your word, I pray that you will bring to clarity that which we cannot know. May we be in an even deeper state of trust and dependence on you walking away from this text. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we discussed seeing life through the lens of death, how we are to stand by the graveside and learn how to live, which sounds dark, but it actually brings things to light. We are to think about time from the standpoint of eternity, as everything we do eventually leads to who we become. Truly, everything we do is an act of becoming. I often wonder how I'm going to be 10,000 years from now, hopefully less defensive, a better listener, and have a thicker mustache. I ask that in Jesus' name. But do you guys ever consider how you will be 10,000 years from now? For in Christ, we have no expiration date anymore. You will be completely free of all sin. Like, yes, you are redeemed. We still sin. There will be no more sin. But you will still be you. Everything you do today leads to who you will become. And I know that's very meta. That's very big picture. But so is the book of Ecclesiastes. It breaks down all of life's preconceptions. Today, we're going to talk about what we know and what we don't know. 
And in the usual Ecclesiastes fashion, we're going to do it in an interesting way, looking at things from what the perspective of that which we do not know. Typically, it's the other way around, right? We look at the things we don't know through the lens of that which we do. But Ecclesiastes can seem counterintuitive at times. But once we truly realize there are certain things we can never know and realize that we should just stop trying to know them, it actually changes the way we think about the things we can know. Are you guys tracking? So let's first discuss what we don't know. People may think, I don't know what you just said, so please discuss that. <laughs> first, the teacher instructs, ship our grain across the sea, and after many days, receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, for we do not know what disaster may come upon the land. See, commentators, they will differ on these two verses, but all typically land in the ballpark of diligence and generosity. So let's first touch on the generosity take. Casting our grain or our bread on the waters is observed to be a way of saying, give your material things in a way that may seem wasteful in the eyes of the world. As wasteful as throwing your bread upon the waters, as waterlogging your bread. In this sense, the point is that we do something now for a reward that cannot be immediately seen. And this is the reality with generosity and really any kingdom work. We may never know the fruit of that which we do on this side of eternity, which is great for our humility and the joy we will have when we are in the kingdom. Perhaps it's good that we don't know the fullness of all that we do for the Lord today. Next in verse 2, invest in or give in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. I imagine the teacher has an epiphany look. He's stroking his beard. He's like, invest in seven. Ah, yes, in eight. Perhaps. Seven being the number of perfection, of completion, and eight being and some more, plus some, or in our modern-day verbiage, to the nth degree. And why? Because we don't know what the future holds. So in the meantime, don't let your money or your possessions hold you. We often have the misconception that we can put all of our thoughts, all of our efforts towards success and material things, yet still remain distinct for them. But that's rarely the case if money and material things are all we think of, speak of, and work toward. As musician Marina and the Diamonds sang in 2010, throwback, if you're not very careful, your possessions will possess you. Or take it from C.S. Lewis's book, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of my favorites in the Narnia series. The crew, they come across Deathwater Island to wait out a storm, and while they're on this island, they search around. They take a gander, looking around the place as you would. And walking around, they accidentally come across a sword, a mail shirt, a helmet, and a dagger of an old Narnian lord. What's going on? They continue walking and they discover a lake and at the bottom of that lake there is a golden statue that is glimmering in the light. So King Edmund, he walks over to the lake. He wants to see how deep it is. He dips his sword in and actually loses it because it's so heavy. What's happening? He then looks down at his shoes to see the toes of his boots have turned into gold. It appears everything that touches this water turns to gold. This could be a big financial game. 
What would later be discovered is that the statue at the bottom of the lake was actually a person who, in his greed, became that which he sought after. Instead of gaining riches, riches gained him. And the scene ends with Edmund and the other character, King Caspian. They're arguing over who has authority over the other. And as they are arguing, they get a brief glimpse, this vision of Aslan. C.S. Lewis's analogous character to Jesus, they see Aslan in the distance. And when they do, they completely forget that which they were arguing about. The tension was completely dissolved at the sight of Aslan. And then they leave the place only remembering that we saw a statue of a man at the bottom of the lake. And in the same way, it's easy for us to get caught up in the financial and material gain of the world. It's enticing. It seems like it's the only way to live. But as we look to Jesus, as Edmund and Caspian look to Aslan, we get clarity. The Lord alone can give us the clarity that we need, enabling us to not become overcome with the riches, to not become that which we are seeking after, or as the psalmist writes in Psalm 135, 18, those who make idols will be like them. You see, generosity helps keep us be distinct from that which we own, ensuring that it doesn't own us. And so we are generous, we are to be so generous, rather, that it doesn't make sense to the world looking in on our lives. And there's no other way a Christian should live. And I don't mean be so generous as a way that you're giving this insane amount, but rather an amount that is relative to that which you have. Recall the story that Jesus told of the woman with the two copper coins comparative to those who gave from their excess, she gave so much more. As a theologian would come to write, one of the greatest mistakes we can ever make is to think about our life, our wealth, or our possessions as if we can predict the future. We cannot predict the future, so let's live in light of the present. The Lord has lavished us with his generous grace, so let's respond with generosity. Now, if we were to look at these two verses from a financial standpoint, it's still some good advice. Invest in many ventures. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So don't be a one-trick pony. See how you can utilize the talents the Lord has given you. Like for myself, who's in ministry, has a wife and a kid, sometimes I have to take up odd jobs. And I've come to realize odd jobs are God jobs. And I learned that from my dad, Les. Hi, Dad. My dad has done many jobs and continues to do First off, he's the number one DJ on Catalina Island. That's pretty sick. <laughs> um, he's a realtor. He's a driver. He sells cars, sells paintings, sells jewelry. He does it all. But you see, tying it in, it's not just provision for provision's sake, but provision to be generous, provision to provide for others. We are blessed so that we may be a blessing to others. Not just storing up for ourselves for later, but blessing others today. On the same note, verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. You see, this is a comfort for everyday life, as it essentially states that neither success nor failure are in our hands. We can either boast in our success or be shamed of our failure. 
And you see, some things are predictable, as we see in verse 3, like the clouds will rain if they're full of water. But other things are not so predictable, like which way the tree will fall. I didn't have that question until I read that verse, but which way would the tree fall? All we can do is try our best at what we do, being diligent, not just watching the wind or looking up at the clouds, but doing the best at what we do as we do all for the glory of God. To he who works in mysterious ways, as we see in verse 5, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Try all you want. We don't be able to fully figure out the path of the wind. Look at every ultrasound you'd like. You cannot fully figure out how God knits the baby together in the mother's womb, as the psalmist puts in 139. There are things that are beyond our grasp, and God, he intends for them to be that way. As there are things in life we cannot fully understand, so we cannot fully understand the work of God, the maker of all things. We get a similar feel with God's conversation with Job in Job 38.4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, Job, if you understand. You see, God is so beyond our comprehension as he began, he was before any humans even began comprehending things. As Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 13.12, for we see in a mirror dimly and then face to face. I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. You see, the greatest glimpse we can get of this almighty God is like a dim mirror. Or imagine the mirror like when you get out of the shower and it's completely fogged up. You can kind of see yourself. You can see a little bit, but not really. But one day we'll be face to face with God, knowing him even as we are fully known. And on that day, we will finally realize why the angels sing and cry out all day, all night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We will finally fully understand why everything that's within them is erupting with praise to God. One day, we will get it. But for now, that's still in a category which we can't fully understand. We cannot fully understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So that's what we don't know, the future, the work of God. But here's what we do know. Verse 7, light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. This is essentially describing the bliss of being alive. Look how intentional our God is. He made it nice to be sitting at a park. He made it nice to feel the ocean breeze, to watch the sun set, and if you wake up early, watch the sun rise. And I know some people may be more about the nightlife. I get it. I was in college once. I used to be up till 3 in the morning. Last night I went to bed at 8.45, but there was a time. And I get it. But the reality is exposure to sunlight is thought to increase the brain's release of serotonin. It literally makes you happier. And that's why Alaskan fiction books that take place in the wintertime are so creepy. Everyone loses their minds when it's just constant darkness for 60 days, but light is sweet. It pleases the eyes to see the sun. With that in mind, verse 8, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But remember the days of darkness, for there will be many 
everything to come is meaningless. And this is a loaded verse, but a really good one. First, I want to remind you all the usage of the word meaningless that the teacher uses. It's not that it's without meaning. Rather, the meaning is not clear. Everything to come is meaningless in the sense that it's not quite clear what the meaning is. It's like vapor, smoke. You try to grab it, and it slips through your fingers. Next, enjoy all the years, but remember the darkness, which when someone would probably say, why, though? I'm trying to distract myself from the days of darkness. But truly, darkness serves as the canvas for the beauty to pop. We're able to enjoy life's beauty with the contrast to the chaos. And along with that, days of darkness serve as formative. The trials form us through refining us as we lean into God, which is very important to note. It's not just us going through hard times that refines us, but us going through hard times as we lean on the Lord. As James will write to the dispersed churches, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why would we consider it pure joy? Because the testing of faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. When we let perseverance have its full effect, when we persevere in the Lord through the trials, we will grow for the better. So the trials... The days of darkness, they form us by refining us as we lean on the Lord and are therefore connected to our ultimate enjoyment of life, giving us the capacity for greater enjoyment. So, brothers and sisters, remember the days of darkness so that we remember God's hand through the trials, which is crucial because life is to be enjoyed. Life is to be enjoyed. Not spending our days somber, not saying, ah, the good old days, like a broken record. We don't want to be a broken record. A broken record is broken. There's no area in our life that God isn't looking to redeem. And the good old days, they're today, baby. We're living in it right now. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Hallelujah, holla back. Come on. I need a pulse. Do, are we in agreement? This is good. Yes, the good old days are right now. Verse 9, you who are young, be happy while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring it into judgment. And it's important to note that the, the usage of the words youth and young in this passage, it's a relative concept. As verse 8 says, enjoyment should be pursued however many years a person may live. And in fact, the preacher may mean by youth and young as someone who has not entered the stage of life portrayed in the next chapter where mind and body are finishing their course. So all in all, this verse is for everyone today, church. This isn't just a verse for Branches youth. We're not going to set aside it for Branches youth. It's for the church. Be happy. Let your heart give you joy. Follow your heart in whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, are these two in opposition to one another, these two lines? Not necessarily. 
but rather the second gives bounds for the first. Recognizing the just judgment of God will allow us to both live faithfully today and live life to the full. In a similar sense, I surfed a spot when I was out at Vero Beach in Florida that was killer on one side of the jetty and literally killer on the other. It was infested with sharks, incredibly sharky, and for that reason, it's called Monster Hole. Can you believe that? There's a surf spot called Monster Hole. Like, yo, Austin, where are you surfing today? I'm thinking about catching some waves at the Monster Hole. Lord Jesus, have mercy. I did not surf there. Are you kidding me? No, look at me. Think I'd surf Monster Hole? No shot. You see, there's totally waves there, and that's why people surf there. And they're enjoyable waves, sure. However, the danger is close at hand. Both are options, but one tends to be more wise where the sharks are not. Some people, like my friend Briley, would say, just don't even be in the ocean at all. But same goes with the ways we choose to follow our hearts. Do it in light of God's judgment, in the bounds of God's judgment, and recognize what sin may lead us into. Like surfing a sharky area where attacks have happened, it's not wise. And so it is with sin. According to 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So follow the ways of your heart in the bounds of the creator's call on humanity to be set apart from the world. Which contrary to how some may hear that, there's a lot of space for enjoyment. There's so much life to be enjoyed that is also holy and pure before God. And with God's commands, my friend who I highly look up to, Ryan Camp, once told me, every command of Jesus has a core life-giving component that leads to human flourishing. One more time, every command of Jesus has a core life-giving component that leads to human flourishing. How good is that? Thanks, Ryan. God does not say to do or not do things for the sake of control. Rather, he calls us into things or out of things for our ultimate good, for our ultimate flourishing. He is our perfect father, and he really, really loves us. His law and his way are consistent with that. And I don't believe it's just the sin that will be brought into judgment, as a third century Jewish teacher once said, man will have to give account for all he saw and did not enjoy. We are created to enjoy God's good creation. We were created to enjoy life. We were made to thrive on the joy of the Lord that comes from union with him, with others, and the world that we find ourselves in. So enjoy. Don't be a grumpy Christian because that's not Christ-like. Jesus is described in Hebrews 1.9 as being anointed with the oil of joy. Don't we want that? I know we all have different personality types. I'm not saying we all have to be the exact same person, but we all want to be like Jesus, right? That's literally why we're here. We're captivated by the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to look like him. So enjoy life. Let your heart give you joy. Don't block the entryway for the joy of the Lord to come in. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice. The last point the teacher makes is in verse 10. 
So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles from your body for youth and vigor, which means strength, are meaningless. See, the teacher is inviting us to be present, to get rid of the anxiety that's so fixed on the future and to live today. Our bodies, our minds, they're going to fail us eventually, so utilize your working mind and your working body today. Truly, there's so much goodness in being present, for the present is where God always is. Have you guys ever heard of or read the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? Really good, really fascinating book where Lewis writes from the perspective of a senior demon writing to his nephew demon on how to tempt humans. It gives us a good insight onto the work of the enemy. And throughout that book, the enemy is God. So that's just for context as I read this quote. Here's what Uncle Screwtape says to his nephew about being present. The humans live in time, but our enemy, being God, destines them to eternity. He, therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Again, the present is the point at which time touches eternity. And the present is the best place to start with banishing anxiety. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that the proper time he may exalt, he may lift you up. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is our invitation, church. Cast our anxiety, our worries, our stress at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. How we banish anxiety from our hearts so that we can live our lives happy, so we can let our lot, so we can let ourselves feel joy is by being present with the Lord who is always present with us. God constantly remains in the present. You don't need to go to the past. You don't need to think up the future to be with him. He is already with you. He is already here. But some may think, but how can I go to God where I'm at right now? I've fallen back into my sin. I've fallen back into temptation. Where is my grounding to ask anything of God? Dallas Willard once said, God is yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. You see, we are all wretched sinners in need of the grace of God. All of us have fallen short and will continue to fall short of the glory of God. So fall forward into the open arms of Jesus. Jesus, who takes us just as we are, not as we should be. But by his grace, he's constantly forming us into who we will become in him. A son, a daughter of the most high God. And I say that often, but I need to be reminded I don't know about you guys, but I have this type of spiritual amnesia where I lose sight that God's grace is so much bigger than my sin. Does anybody else experience that? Am I alone here? You guys feel that as well? I was baffled by the magnitude of the grace of God. So here's some things we just don't know. We just can't know. We can't know the future, so we need to live in light of the present. We don't know what the future will bring, so choose to be generous today, investing in that which goes well beyond yourself. For your wealth, 
It will not go with you when you pass. So make eternal investments that go beyond yourself with your money and with your time too. How we go well beyond ourselves is making disciples who make disciples. That's how we leave a legacy. We are to live through the lens of what we do not know for it will help keep us present and actually have us trust in God wholeheartedly. We know that life is to be enjoyed and all the things that God calls us into have a core life-giving component that lead to our ultimate flourishing. Mind and body, they will cease one day. Understand that and choose to be present, casting off the anxiety of the future. My teacher once said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Tomorrow will worry about itself. I think Jesus was on to something when he said that. We all likely sang the song, he's got the whole world in his hands when we were younger. Maybe you sang it with your kids. Let's return to that mentality. We don't know the future. We can't fully understand the work of God, but we know that the Lord has the world and us in his hands. When we trust in him, we can finally remain secure. So we're going to go into a time of response, which is a really good time. Reflecting on the implications of the scriptural text and bringing all of our emotions to the feet of Jesus. This is a time that we respond with praise, where we sing out truths about God and we raise up our hands in a posture of humility and surrender. Whether we feel it in our hearts or not, our heart will catch up to what our body does. Like, Lord, I'm not there, but help me get there. Like the father of the sick child comes before Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. May we cry out, Jesus, I believe you are good. Help me believe that you are good. We lift up our hands so that our hearts may follow. And this is also a time of prayer, a time to bring ourselves to the Lord and also intercede on behalf of our brothers and sisters, asking those that we came with, how can I pray for you? Or asking, Holy Spirit, do you have a word that I can share with my brothers or sisters? All in all, with this time of response, I encourage you to respond toward the Lord. Because whether we're aware of it or not, we're going to respond to this message. Either thinking about Jesus or thinking about lunch. I'm thinking about lunch a bit. I'm getting Papa Z's with some of my boys later. But choose to look to the Lord in this time who is constantly looking unto you. Let's pray. Will you all stand with me? We thank you that you're always with us, Jesus. And we thank you that your joy is for today. That comes with casting off the anxieties of tomorrow. It comes with the casting off of any idols of wealth or possessions. We choose to look to you in this time because we know we are with you it is the intersection of heaven and earth we get a glimpse of what eternity looks like experiencing your fullness crying out day and night that you were holy and in doing so stepping into our true human intent when we worship you god we experience the fullness of peace hope and joy None of that is found outside of you, so we choose to look to you. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your love and for your grace. May we respond with praise and adoration.